Welcome to the New York City Parks COVID Oral History Project podcast. Our subject is the history of the COVID-19 pandemic and the response and activities of New York City Parks. Our hosts are Diana Baker and Kevin Fitzpatrick. This is episode number 11, Summer of Unrest. Hello, Diana. We are back in splendid Williamsburg, Brooklyn at McCarran Play Center in the Media Education Lab. Our all-parking team is using the Media Lab to share history with listeners, presenting some of the more than 100 interviews conducted last year about the COVID-19 pandemic. Today, our guests will be recalling the era of social unrest in New York and the way that parks responds to social justice initiatives on parkland. Our guests today are former New York City Parks Commissioner Mitchell Silver, Assistant Commissioner of Community Outreach and Partnership Development, Karina Smith, Urban Park Ranger, Wu Sung Park, and Van Cortland Park Administrator, Stephanie Ehrlich. Hello to everyone who has found our podcast, subscribed to it, and shared it. Our show today is about the era in the pandemic that we are still struggling with today, and that is the social reckoning and unrest that followed the death and murder of Breonna Taylor in March 2020 in Louisville and George Floyd in May 2020 in Minneapolis, both by police officers. The deaths spurred national protests, and as we talked about in our Washington Square Park show, Frequently, protests and marches in New York City begin and end in city parks. Combined with the COVID-19 pandemic, which was in its first wave at the time, everyone was on edge and scared. Schools and businesses were shut down, but many felt it was their duty to make their voices heard in the streets. This led to large crowds in parks, and parks workers were overwhelmed with the emotion, the movement, the hope, and the work. They too listened, participated, and saw these protests unfold while they tried to stay safe, go to work, and not get sick. One of the responses of the Parks Department was changing the names of parks properties in the city to honor the communities and people that have been historically overlooked over past decades. In Episode 6, we heard from former Parks Commissioner Mitchell Silver, who was leading the agency during the Summer of Unrest. He returned to the arsenal for the Oral History Project and spoke about his memories of 2020 to 2021 when the agency was in the midst of the protests during the pandemic. Um, a few months later was the summer of social unrest. Yes. What was the response to the, to the, the agency to that? Um, well, for me personally, it broke me. Um, after the death of George Floyd, compounded with COVID, I think I hit a, a breaking point. Um, I'll get to the second part of what I did after, but in the midst of all of this, I wrote a post. I wrote something to staff early June expressing how I felt. I think people were shocked. The mayor was under severe pressure as well with the civil and social unrest. Parks became the places of protest, of desecrating monuments and other assets. And our staff were in a lot of pain as well. And so we, we launched um, these reflection phone calls specifically just for black staff. Um, to talk about not, you know, so many people were saying, what can I do? And I was like, time out. Wrong question. The first question is, how do I feel? 
The do comes later. Yeah, you can paint murals. No, stop. Ask me first how I feel. And so we held those phone calls with staff. And, and through those phone calls, they didn't know I was protesting. They were like, Commissioner, what? Like, yeah, I, I'm a runner. I, was, I do running protests. And they were shocked. And I felt I'm a commissioner, but I'm also a black American. And, and this was painful. Uh, I shared with them, and they were shocked about my experience of how I had to hang my black identity at the door. Uh, and I don't want to do that anymore. And so in code switching, I don't know if you're familiar with the term code switching, but um, code switching is what a person of color has to do in a white space in order to get along. So you don't say certain things, you don't react, you, you switch. You're not yourself. You're one way with your friends, you're another way in an office that's predominantly white. So I, you know, we all shared what we had to go through and I just said, no more, done. And so bottom line is through all those calls, we decided to show solidarity with the black community and so I came up with the idea and then staff supported it of creating a space uh, for healing, for protests, and so we came up with the idea of doing Juneteenth Grove in Cabin Plaza. And not just that space, we wanted to keep it going so it wasn't a one and done. And we wanted to be committed to examining spaces that we could rename and celebrate for the black experience. So within two weeks, we were able to just identify Cadman Plaza. It had 19 benches. We decided to paint the Pan-African colors. We planted 19 trees. I planted one of the trees and prayed for it. And it really became a place of, of healing, uh, a place of reflection. Uh, and so we continued doing that work. But then we expanded it out to other staff to explain what this moment means and expanded it to other groups, uh, started doing renamings, just to show that we are really an inclusive agency and want to hear these stories and understand how you feel. Uh, so the two combining now parks, not only were we short-staffed, but now this is where people were protesting. Washington Square was probably the epicenter. Uh, and so short staff, tension with our parks police and NYPD, and we just had to navigate all that. And then we had Storm Isaisis that knocked down 26,000, we had 26,000 calls. And I'll tell you, I was at a breaking point in August, I remember. That was one of the reasons why I think maybe it's time to just, you know, this is, it was too much between COVID and you're trying to take care of everyone. And um, that's when I reached out to the Department of Mental Health and I, and I realized I was in deep trouble. And so we brought in Department of Mental Health because I can tell the senior team was unraveling but the, the Black Lives Matter was, was painful because to witness that man being murdered to me was just too much. Uh, and hearing what young people were saying and having the courage to say, no, not this time. You're not gonna let this one slide by. Uh, I give them a lot of courage. Wasn't down with the defund the police, um, but certainly believed it was a moment and, and I appreciate it because it allowed me to deal with things I hadn't dealt with before. I want to back up just a little bit because I interviewed Karina at length about the renamings mm -hmm. and the programming to change the names and parks of sites. What was, what was that like? I didn't want the one and done. So how do we continue this? And so we said, let us take a step back. And if there are places that we could rename 
to elevate the black experience, let's announce it on Black Solidarity Day. It was internally. We didn't reach out. Phase two was to reach out to the public. Phase one was let's select a number of spaces. And we made the signs red, black, and green. And so we did a lot of research, a lot of vettings. Right after Juneteenth Grove, we went to work on identifying who and where those spaces would be. And Karina was the lead on that project. And then we were very pleased. The mayor was very pleased. James, he came to ribbon cutting on James Baldwin Lawn, right in the City College. We wanted to make sure we talked about the black experience and what we named had to have relevance to that place. And so James Baldwin in Harlem and being in order and being in Harlem, we felt that was appropriate. And so that can, and then we want to do phase two of reaching out to the public, identify names of former slave owners or people that had checkered past, that we would rename those spaces, but we wanted to get those names from the public. And so that was phase two. And then we wanted to go to indigenous population, uh, Latino, LGBTQ, it was all opened up. We wanted to, but we wanted the first phase to be definitely responsive to the black experience. So Karina was the lead on, on phase one. When phase three launches, hopefully sometime in 2024, it will not focus solely on the black experience. It will be expanded to include other underrepresented communities in the park system, such as LGBTQ, Latinx, and Asian American Pacific Islander, or AAPI. You can find out about this on our website under the renaming project on nycgovparks.org. The Community Parks Initiative, or CPI, is another program the agency initiated to redress historical inequities. Launched in 2014, CPI aims to create a more equitable park system by investing in high-density, low-income areas that have been previously overlooked. More funding for the program came in 2021, which will result in 10 new CPI sites a year for the next 10 years. Last summer, Commissioner Sue Donahue announced the 10 newest sites to receive funding for renovations through CPI. In 2020, watching the news, images of protests in parks and graffiti on sculptures and landmarks were a daily occurrence. Parks has a small team of workers who clean these memorials and they were constantly cleaning the same statues over and over, such as the ones in Washington Square, which became lightning rods during protest gatherings. Overseeing this art and antiquities, the Monuments and Sculpture and Public Art Division is Karina Smith, Assistant Commissioner for Community Outreach and Partnership Development. Parks Monuments became a focal point for protests, such as the Washington Square Arch being hit with graffiti constantly as it was a key gathering point. A 15-year parky, we asked to recall the period of summer of 2020 when we were in the early days of COVID and protests were starting. At the time, the city was in this state of unrest with, with you know, things going bananas with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and so many other um, issues in the black community and abroad where like people were being um, murdered, for lack of a better word, you know. Um, it was a difficult time nationally. It was a conflagration of all these different things. So you have a lot of, my staff is very diverse. So there's um, people, including myself, who were dealing with um, emotional the emotional trauma of things that were happening racially throughout the nation, 
coupled with things that were happening with COVID and the isolation that came along with that. It was a lot to deal with. It was very traumatic. And the Monuments team um, also has a diverse unit with health concerns, age concerns, race issues. So they were dealing with all of this and seeing the city's monuments and statuary defaced, sometimes due to protest, sometimes people just, we can't all say it was protest, it, sometimes it was just people feeling like the figures that were being represented represented racist history and they wanted to deface them in some way. Um, monuments historically are targets for graffiti anyway, but it just went to a, like an exponential level um, during that time. And trying to meet those concerns with the skeleton team was extremely challenging, difficult. I did want to ask about sure. the social unrest mm -hmm. and in particular the um, renaming of Parks and Playgrounds. Yeah. Did that begin before the pandemic or is that something that's... It began, uh, well, the... So the first project was was officially renamed in 2020, um, and it was the uh, Cadman Plaza. We installed a Juneteenth Grove as a responsive um, step toward acknowledging and support and in support of the Black community and everything that was going on with all the social unrest. Um, we had been sort of thinking about different ways to, you know, having a, an African-American commissioner. Um, we had been thinking about different ways to, we'd been hearing from different staff anecdotally in different ways that they felt um, unsupported. Uh, employees were feeling like, you know, a little distance between the administration and staff. This is pre-pandemic. So there'd always been like these, uh, morale sort of um, employee recognition things that were brewing and conversations happening. I think COVID kind of put a magnifying glass on a lot of those issues. And so Commissioner Silver decided that he wanted to do a, make a demonstrative step to kind of show solidarity. Part of the um, uh, naming of, of Juneteenth Grove was painting benches in the colors of the African-American flag. So being a part of that, actually even being out with painters and everyone having to stay so far apart while they're painting, but being taught, a painter's teaching you how to paint, but he's way back here and you're over here. And he's like, use, you know, use long strokes. And even that kind of instruction while being distanced was like very, it was super surreal. It, I mean, I, I've said that a lot, but it really was. The whole time was just like so strange. But it gave a feeling, that project gave a feeling of hope and healing. Um, that particular space is known as a site of protest in the city. It's right across from like uh, one of the larger police plazas. Um, and even the policemen that were out there were like, oh, this is great what you're doing. So like, I think there was like a, there was a bonding that happened on site that day and it was, it was a beautiful, beautiful experience. And the weather was wonderful too. It, didn't, it, it helped being outside for like the first time in a really long time. And how has that program progressed? How many have been changed or renamed or? I believe that we're at 26 spaces um, now that have been renamed. The project has gone on and, and continued um, throughout. Uh, we're actually coming upon this uh, next month we are renaming 
officially um, one of the parks in the Bronx for Wendell T. Foster, who was the first um, city elected in the Bronx that was an African-American. Um, and then we're going to look um, in the new year about what other aspects um, are we renaming. The first two tranches were dedicated to the black community specifically because of all the social unrest. But the third tranche is going to be open to other um, communities who have um, not been recognized maybe in the park system as, as others. So we're going to look and broaden that reach a little bit more. How does that make you feel? I mean, coming from Harlem and having a say in this, what's yeah. it feel like when someone finally gets their name on something or gets that yeah. kind of honor? It was such pride. Um, I have not in my 14 years here felt such a sense of pride um, and recognition by the city of all of the, you know, I, I we use the term black history, but I've always, always said that black history is American history, right? Um, this country was founded upon a lot of the, it was built actually by the labor efforts of enslaved Africans, right? So our history is all intertwined in the birth of America and the building of America. So our history is American history. So to actually have it highlighted in such a way so visually and so visibly, um, it gave me a great sense of pride. It definitely took some of the sting away. My mother, who again was very ill um, and could barely speak at the time, I was able to show her a picture and just say, "Mom, look what look what look what I did, and look what we're doing." And she was, you know, the the, the look of pride even on her face was worth all of it. It's just it's just super amazing to just I I. I I have no greater word than pride. When I was watching the, the swarms of protest, um, not just in New York, but around the world, I was very keenly aware that I was living through a moment in history that I'm going to be able to tell my grandchildren or great-grandchildren, if I'm so lucky, um, about that I lived through that. Like, I was actually a part of it like my mom would tell me stories my mother was a um she did sit-ins when she was in college in the south my parents are from the south and so she would tell me the stories of you know sitting at lunch encounters you know being a part of protests then um and now i'm gonna have not that story obviously but a story of a tremendous period of struggle that i'm going to be able to share with my grandchildren and, and but i'll be able to say that I was a part of city policy when that was changing and I, I definitely was aware of it and because I was aware of it it was very important to me to make sure that as best as I could I did the right thing. I had no idea we were going to do a history project about it of course but I wanted to make sure that I was on the right side of history making sure that it was done. Other parks properties stepped up to use the ongoing social unrest and renewed focus on our shared history as teachable moments inside our parks. One of these was in the Bronx at Van Cortlandt Park, one of the places our show visited in episode three with administrator Stephanie Ehrlich. She told us about the neighborhood outreach parks does with local school kids, bringing them into the park for days of exploration and learning. All of that tied into the protest the students were seeing, as well as the historic nature of the parkland itself and its unique place in New York City history.
an, as an educator mm -hmm. and someone with an education background, are you seeing a today like maybe a change in, in kids that are coming into your oh, program? Oh, it's and stuff? really sad. Yeah, I think that there is. I think there's an enormous amount of depression and despair with young people. Um, I know that middle, you know, middle school kids really got hit very, very hard by this because you know they're they want to be social, they couldn't be social. Uh, they have ants in their pants, you know. They want to, they want to do things, and and they couldn't because they were glued to um, to their computers. Really, really hard. And I know that academically, kids are now they're just behind, right? Like they are just behind. But also socially and emotionally, they missed out on so many different markers and important um, important developments in their lives that that they're now feeling like they were robbed. Uh, and so there's like a kind of a sadness. One of the things that we've been able to provide um, on the Alliance side of things is, things is that because we've done this, um, the internship program each summer, like we have gotten such gratefulness from the young people and from their parents about um, just maintaining a sense of normalcy and providing these young people uh, an opportunity to like do regular things and things that aren't virtual so uh, you know getting your hands in the dirt digging you know removing weeds uh, planting things socializing that was just incredibly important so um, the other thing that we have been focusing on and that we will continue to focus on is that we have this enslaved African burial ground and we consecrated the burial ground in 2020 sorry 2021 and we had the um, that was on Juneteenth of 2021 and we are continuing to really focus on um, on that project and creating educational programming uh, surrounding that that topic and so that's been really exciting that that's something that we were able to do this past year and because I think that because educators had to be creative and bring their kids into the parks. We've um, had contact, there's a school right on the perimeter called the Atmosphere Academy, and we worked with an educator um, who is, uh, she's actually a theater, a theater arts educator. She worked with us on this enslaved African burial ground um, curriculum with an entire middle school, uh, with, yeah, with a whole grade from this middle school. And so that's something where they came out to the park multiple times. I don't know that they would have been so comfortable doing those like multi-visit programs. And now it's like, oh yeah, sure, the park, that's our backyard, let's do it. So that's a real positive, it's really great. And we're gonna be doing more programming along those lines. So, um, you know, there's a real connection here in the park because the Van Cortlands were unfortunately slave owners and uh, a lot of the features that we see in the park uh, can be attributed to, uh, to slave labor. So what we have behind us is what was known as Van Cortland Lake for many years, but it's actually a mill pond. Uh, there were two mills over there. There was a sawmill and a grist mill because this was a plantation that grew, um, grew wheat. Right. And the grain that was uh, created here then fed the whole uh, slavery ecosystem. So things that were grown here were then shipped down to uh, the southern states and the West Indies to feed um, those plantations because they didn't want to waste their precious space uh, where they were growing sugarcane or tobacco um, or cotton. So up here we grew wheat so that they wouldn't have to waste their space on wheat. So that's not something I knew as a Brooklyn girl. I thought we were the good guys. We were not the good guys. <laughs> so fascinating. Yeah. That's so fascinating. That's yeah. something that you learned during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now educating kids. Yep. Yep. 
That's terrific. It is. It's really um, the information that we're bringing to light about the enslaved people who um, who worked and in some cases died here is really an important part of American history and New York history, you know. Uh, so so it's, it's good and we're hoping that we will be able to do uh, some more signage. So all of this is echoes of Black Lives Matter and the summer of 2020 yep. and George Floyd. Yep, absolutely. So you're turning uh, a negative into a positive with this. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, this was, Van Cortlandt Park was the location for a protest on June 6th of 2021. There was a big Black Lives Matter protest here. And then just a couple weeks later, there was a Blue Lives Matter protest here. So. Uh, it's fascinating. It was really fascinating, but that's the park, How right? How many people was it? Oh, for the Black Lives Matter protest, it was probably a thousand people. Blue Lives Matter was very small, but um, like maybe maybe two hundred people. Okay. Uh, but it was to me really fascinating that the park is neutral, you know, and that we serve. You know, that's what we're here to do. There are new signs in the park that are interpretive that explain this parkland history more. Mill Pond, the lake, was renamed Hester and Piero's Mill Pond in order of Piero the Miller and his wife Hester, a domestic servant. As a teacher myself, I know that getting kids out into the field is so important to see this firsthand. In this era was one of the saddest parts of the story of the pandemic, and that was the rise in hate crimes committed against Asians. Partly driven by misinformation and just plain racism, Attacks were a serious problem and rising in 2020. Woosung Park, an urban park ranger sergeant, who we met way back in our first episode, was one of those who experienced Asian hate in New York City. He took part in an online session that Park sponsored to discuss Asian hate in the city. The one thing I did like where they did have an open forum because during all the pandemic, BLM, LGBTQ rights, um, Asian hate, right, was increasing. Um, and that's something I experienced a lot of. Um, and the one thing I did appreciate, the open, you know, forum, Zoom forum for Asian American hate. And I was one of the first few people who spoke and getting to speak about my experience was so therapeutic and helpful, which is when I saw this, I'm like, I need to go. I need to go, I need to talk to somebody because the only people I've been talking to are other rangers and and other people who are on the ground level. You know, when I first started coming back here, seeing everyone in the office, I felt distant. I felt like we grew apart for some reason. Um, and everyone else on the ground level, including MNO, pop workers, you know, uh, pruners, you know, uh, plumbers, I feel like we all really got a lot closer. And, you know, I, I, say, I say this all the time that, you know, parks, you know, is the common denominator for everybody, no matter like your socioeconomic demographic, your gender, your sexual orientation. And then this pandemic really showed that, as in, yes, I may vote left, I may vote right, maybe I don't like, you know, um, the gay community, maybe I don't like Asians, but at the end of the day, we're all here. Why are we here? Because we have similar needs and, you know, emotions and desires, you know. Uh, no one wants to be sad, no one wants to be angry. And, you know, like that's something Parks offers and it's a green space, you know, it's, it's primal, like we, we should be outside more. 
Um, so I feel overall, you know, I hope all parkies, no matter what division, no matter if you're in payroll, signing off on, you know, paper orders or you're a pop worker cleaning toilets where you're, like, I hope everyone in the agency um, and yourself, Kevin, uh, really find fulfillment um, and, you know, um, reason, uh, purpose um, in our lives because we gave everything and we continue to do great things. Um, so, yeah. Concurrent to the start of the pandemic was the start of a new employee society at the Parks Department, the Lotus Society. The Lotus Society is thriving. The first annual award ceremony was kicked off with a lion dance and welcomed by Commissioner Sue Donahue. Yes, one of several parks employee resource groups within the agency for different cultures and backgrounds. There are also positive effects from COVID-19 era. Yes, following the pandemic, five Asian Americans were elected to the New York City Council in 2022, the most the council has ever had. All Democrats, this historic group includes the first Muslim woman, the first Korean Americans, and the first South Asian Americans elected to the council. This also includes Shikara Krishnan, the first Indian American ever elected to the city council, who is also chair of the council's committee on parks and recreation. In parks, it was announced last year by Mayor Adams and Commissioner Donahue that of the construction work in parks, 62% of the projects are in underserved neighborhoods as identified by the Task Force on Racial Inclusion and Equity. New Yorkers will be able to enjoy 100 newly renovated park projects in their neighborhoods by summer 2023. Great information to learn. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for listening to our show. Thanks everyone for the support and feedback our podcast gets. Please share this with your friends and family. As the kids say, smash that subscribe button. Thank you for listening to the New York City Parks Oral History Project podcast. It is produced by New York City Parks Media Education. Our hosts are Diana Baker and Kevin Fitzpatrick. Our producer is Igosa Agbo, and our sound engineer is Eddie Hall. Our executive producer is Joy Wang. Original theme music, A Stroll in the Park, is composed and performed by Brett Miami, and the show's soundbed audio is composed by Shaquem Hill-Wasse. I am announcer, Zach Lella. Our next episode will have Commissioner Sue Donahue with us. Before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And please, like, subscribe, and share the podcast with your friends and family. See you in the parks.